Welcome to the Coming Home Well podcast, the show that educates, supports, and advocates for the veteran community. Your host, Dr. Tyler Piron, U.S. Army retired, will bring you exciting conversations with amazing guests about resources, research, and military history, all geared to helping our warriors to come home well. Here's your host, Dr. Tyler Piron. Welcome back to Coming Home Well. I'm your host, Dr. Tyler Piron, and today we're going to have a story about hope, resilience, and, and overcoming challenges when you're trying to come home well. We have Corporal Matthew Bradford. He is obviously with the United States Marine Corps. He's retired. He has this fantastic story about overcoming adversity, and so we've invited him on to sort of learn about him. But I'm going to give you a quick synopsis. He grew up in Kentucky, moved here to the Commonwealth of Virginia. And as a freshman, he saw the attack on the Twin Towers, on the Pentagon, and said, you know what? I'm going to join the Marines. He did after graduating from high school in 2005. In 2007, in January, he was severely injured after stepping on an IAD in Iraq. Now, this put him on a detour. And he has learned the true meaning of overcoming and adapting. He didn't even know how badly he was injured until he woke up at Bethesda Naval, like weeks after getting injured. But he doesn't let his injuries define who he is or what he can do. It's an amazing story. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us on Coming Home Well. Thank you so much for having me. So let's, let's start with the really tough stuff. What the heck happened? I obviously we talked about an IED, but I want to hear how you would tell this story. So we were deployed in September of 2006 to Haditha, Iraq, which was located in El Anbar province. And, and during this time is when they were calling in the surge, the number of troops, the the high engagements, the firefights. It was very, very tough back then. That was like one of the roughest times in the roughest provinces in the world. And we, we relieved 3rd Battalion, 3rd Marines coming in as 2nd Battalion, 3rd Marines. We hit the ground running. It was firefight after firefight, IEDs. And and you start to see your, your brothers fall wounded and killed in action. And, and then the pace that they kept us on that deployment, it was so quick. It was a very quick pace. So like there was no time to sit back and think about anything that's going on. You had to focus on the next patrol the next day. And it's just fun, like leaving the fob every day, every time you went on patrol. It's like you didn't know who was coming back. If you're coming back, if this is your last day on earth. Like you had all, but you didn't think about these things. And I think for me, after the first firefight, the first time I got shot at, I kind of, it's, I always tell people, which is complete different. It's like playing football when you get hit the first time you kind of get comfortable with it and you kind of get used to it. And like, I wasn't afraid of going out and, and getting shot at or because we dealt with a lot of close calls, but we, we just kind of pushed through that deployment. And by the time January rolled around, we were on our way close to getting out of the, out of Iraq and headed back to Hawaii where we were assigned to. And I was walking point like I did on every other patrol and actually felt safer walking the streets than I did in a vehicle. I saw a white bag leaned up against the tree in the palm groves and, as I turned around and let everybody know about this white bag to be kind of an alert and look out for any command wires because that's such a suspicious item as an indicator. And then when I turned back around, there's a ditch that laid perpendicular from the road I was sending on that went inside of a pipe underneath the road. And as I looked down, I saw the command wires and the, the pipe 
or in, I saw the command wires in the ditch that went inside the pipe. And by that time I was, I was pretty much on top of it and it exploded directly underneath me. Since shrapnel to both my eyes. And of course I was kind of in and out of consciousness and, and I didn't really understand the true cra- grasp of what happened to me until I woke up from a coma three weeks later in Bethesda, Maryland. So what were your injuries? You talked about shrapnel to your eyes, but this is a, a big bomb right underneath you. It, it doesn't sound like a good situation to be in. So uh, pretty much my left leg was amputated at the blast. My right leg was pretty much amputated below the knee, severely, severely damaged. I had my right hand, I had all my metacarpal bones were broken. My tendon was torn. I had a piece of my small intestines removed. My bladder was ruptured. My stomach was bruised pretty bad. And then I had a piece of shrapnel that embedded itself in my left forearm. And, And of course, I had a piece of shrapnel that went through my left eye that is still lodged in in my brain and my right eye was peppered pretty bad with shrapnel as well so i, I took the full full brunt of the blast and it was it, it was it was something waking up three weeks later to understand um the talk about the coming home part here i am on patrol one minute next thing i'm waking up and i'm in a whole different country with my family back around me and and this is before they told me my injuries and like my dad would always whisper to the doctors behind me so I didn't have to hear what they're talking about and 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 not knowing what happened to me and the phantom pains being so severe in my legs. Like I seriously thought somebody kidnapped me and blindfolded me and like I'm going to end up on Al Jazeera. But, uh, but when my dad told me I lost my legs and I lost my eyesight, I was more devastated for losing my legs because I, I didn't really care much for losing my vision. I just wanted my legs to grow back. I mean, this is stuff that you see on TV all the time, but you never expect it to happen to yourself. And from from... From that point, I just, I didn't want to live no more. I felt like if the IED didn't kill me, then I'd, I'd find a way to do it myself and not eat, not take care of myself, like get angry at everybody that would come in my hospital room. Like that was my motivation because, I mean, when you deploy, you either going to come home with your brothers or you're not going to home at all. Like there's no middle down the road of coming home. And like I, I, my dream was to stay in the Marines for 20 years, deploy as many times as possible. and. And now here I am as 20 years old, laying in a hospital bed, trying to figure out what in the world am I going to do with my own life now. You really talk about something that I think is really important, that initial anger at the world, like, I shouldn't be here. I wish it had just taken me. But that didn't that didn't stay, did it? It didn't, because I, I started to, to see the like, like everybody that I pushed away. Like they kept coming back and they started reading me the get well cards and, the, and, and, and mainly like I didn't quit because I know those Marines in Iraq, they wouldn't want me to quit, that they were praying for me every day to get better and get out of there. And, and even we got hit so hard in Iraq as a battalion, we lost 23 Marines and we had over 170 wounded. And a few of those guys that were wounded was at Bethesda. And when they realized that another Echo Company Marine was there, they did everything they could to pay visits to me in my hospital room. And for me trying to figure out who these people are, try to trust these people, like their their names were familiar to me and I knew who they were. And just having them in my room and, and one of the Marines who lost his leg helped me understand somewhat about this journey of being an amputee and like how long it's going to take. And yes, it's going to be difficult. And yes, you're going to have bad days, but it's like 
you just got to keep pushing forward and, and and sooner than later like there is light at the end of the tunnel but it's just it's just having those familiar names helped me get through a lot of that and that's I think, really important i think that that connection with your brothers right there even though you're thousands of miles away from everybody else they're there and you're still belonging. You're still part of that group. And I think a lot of too, like the core men that I had at Bethesda and, and even the nurses, like I had that when I was angry, I had that, that mentality where I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want anybody in my room. And they, like, they fought back with me. They pushed me, like they challenged me. And, and a lot of times I would just, I realized in my head, like, okay, if I just do what they want me to do, then they'll shut up and leave. And, but like, they never gave up on me. They didn't want me to lay there and just die on. Like they just, they got angry with me. They fought back against me. And and I think it just helped me understand that, okay, like no matter what obstacle or no matter what struggle, it doesn't matter if I have amputations, if I'm blind, like that ID took so much from me, but it never took the title of a United States Marine. And this is not the insurgents I'm fighting. These are the amputations. These are the blindness. These are the demons that I want to face from here on out. These are the obstacles. But I got to take whatever I learned as being a Marine and put it towards that by putting my head down every day and going to work, putting one foot in front of the next. Now, you wake up, you've got this tremendous injuries. You've got a world-class recovery programs and everything to get you better and, and you're fighting it at first but eventually you really grasped it and you've been doing some amazing things that people that are perfectly healthy don't even do what are some of those things so when i when i got my mind right early on in my recovery i, I told myself and i would tell everybody around me that i'm going to live a normal life like my amputations are not going to be a weakness they're not going to slow me down or stop me from living life because I didn't want to be that blind guy with no legs sitting on the couch watching TV all day long. Like I wanted to live life and I wanted to go out and do things that I enjoy doing. And having those Marines and those corpsmen and my family in my room day in and day out made me realize that opportunity for me is getting from this hospital bed outside that hospital door because I felt like then that I wanted to stay in the Marines. I wanted to reenlist. So I, I created this plan in my head. I'm like, okay, here's what I need to do first. I need to learn how to get strong enough to get out of this bed. I need to learn how to walk. And then I'll figure out the vision stuff. And then but it's just through it all, just have that positive attitude and that mindset. And when it comes to the time to put my medical board in and put in for not to retire from the Marines or not to do a, a, another rating, but to re-enlist because I wanted to fight on because I wanted to serve those who are having those bad days who are having those struggles with their injuries, thinking that there's no life outside those doors. Like I wanted to go in their room and talk with them and let them know that you can overcome this. There's nothing slowing you down. It's all in the mind. And focus on that, going to San Antonio, learning how to walk, going to Chicago, doing everything I could at the blind rehab center. When I put my medical board in and I selected reenlistment in April 7th, 2010, I reenlisted. I was the first blind WMT history of the Marine Corps to do that. But, you know, through it all, I just uh, living a normal life, like going out and doing Spartan races, doing marathons, attempting to climb a mountain. A few years ago, I got on an upright tandem bike and 
cycled across Kentucky, 407 miles fishing, hunting, like it's just living life, taking advantage of this second chance on life that I've been given. Now let's talk about that going on marathons. Like, like I, I don't do marathons. I, I'm never hate. I've always hated running throughout all my service, but my wife on the other hand loves to run because you are an athletic guy. You played football, you were in the Marines, you're, you're doing these things. And then all of a sudden your whole world changes. How in the world do you get from a, a hospital bed in Bethesda to running marathons and biking across Kentucky and going hunting and fishing. How the heck does that happen? You know, it's just, you know, in life, like I feel like a lot of times that there's people who come in your world and, and they don't see the the good in what you can do. And, and I had this throughout my whole recovery and I used all this as motivation. I put it in my pocket. I'm like, you're going to be the reason why I reenlist. You're going to be the reason why I finish this marathon. You're going to be the reason why I go to the gym and work out every day so I can go out and better myself. And, and I use all that, that as, as my motivation, as my drive to do these things. And I got connected with the right people who saw the can and what I can do and didn't think it was impossible. They sat down with me and, and we planned it out in our heads. We, we worked together on, okay, how can we do this safely and make it work? Like hand cycling. One of the Marines that came to me in San Antonio was like, hey, do you want to do this? I'm like, sure. And him and I sat there on a street on two hand cycles and we went through so many different ideas on how to make this work. Like we crashed a few times, we ran into curbs and then we finally found out a way that would make it work. And in 2009, I did tunnel the towers 5k. That was my first ever ride on a hand cycle. I did the Marine Corps marathon a couple of months later and coming up on this year, it'll be the, it'll be the ninth hand cycle Marine Corps marathon that I've done. But then I've done two races in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I've done some half marathons here. It's just having those people in your life that that aren't there to turn you away and say it's impossible, but have those people in your life that are like, you know what, let's figure out how we're going to do this and let's get it done. You have a motto that I think is pretty amazing or a hashtag or whatever the kids say these days. No legs, no vision, no problem. What does that mean? I mean, I, I think I know what it means, but maybe uh, it comes different from you. You know, when I was in Richmond, Virginia at the VA, I was at a point where I was still somewhat angry, but I was still starting to, to figure out what's next and move in the right direction. And, and thankfully, their therapy, I had to get out of my hospital room. I had to go throughout the hospital. I had to be interact with other people. And like for me, sitting in a wheelchair, like I'd always leave my hospital room and I'd put like a blanket or poncho liner over my lap thinking that. Nobody could see that I had amputations. It was kind of like my security blanket. And, and the more I realized that man, getting out of my room got me around people and, and I started getting comfortable because I didn't feel like I was any different from anyone else. And I started taking that blanket off because I realized like I lost my legs for freedom. I lost my legs for a country that I love. And people ask all the time if I'd go back and do it again, and I would. I'm like, I don't need to be embarrassed because I got amputations. Like, I should be proud of these amputations because this is who I am now. You know, you got to be comfortable in your own skin. And when I think of the no legs, I think of that. It's like, like this is who I am. Like, my prosthetics, it's just, I'm, I'm comfortable now. So with the no legs, and it's just like my feet are always facing forward. And, and I'm going to keep pushing on. And 
I'm going to walk to the next obstacle, the next day, whatever it is, overcome the next barrier and the struggle. When I think of the no vision, it's like, I'm hopeful one day I'm going to see. But until then, I'm going to go out and I'm going to enjoy the second chance on life. And, you know, I'll wake up every day understanding my injuries. I'll wake up hoping not see, but I, I can't. And yes, sometimes that sucks. But you know what? I think to myself that I'm a very competitive person and I'm never going to let that guy who pushed the button and blew me up defeat me. And I feel like if I give up or if I struggle one day, then that guy defeated me and I'm not that person. And I'm going to live life happy. I'm going to live life um, understanding the adversities that are put in front of me and battle through them. And I'm going to surround myself with good people who are going to help me go through those struggles. That is definitely a, a astounding way to view life after some pretty significant challenges. Here you are, 20 years old, big change in the trajectory of where you're going. It could be very easy to become a statistic that we fight against so much. You, you've lost a lot, but you've really flipped the script. You are doing all the things that you want to do. You are 20 years old in 2007, and now you're married. You have three kids. You are living life more than a lot of people who never served, never got off the couch. I mean, you're going out and doing some cool, fun stuff. How in the world do you keep motivated? You know, it's just, to me, it's just like what I mentioned, just, just waking up every day, understanding what happened to me and using that as motivation. Love my family. When people ask, like, what when you're on those difficult days, like, what do you do to get out of that dark zone? And a lot of times I say, I go to my daughter's room and play Barbies with her. Or and it's those moments where, like, when I'm putting my legs on or, or I'm running into a wall and start thinking, like, gosh, man, this, this life sucks. But then it's like it's your wife or your kids walk into a room and be like, hey, love you or come here, or come play with me. It's just it gets your mind out of that situation, that mindset, because like you said, like I don't want to be another statistic. I want to push through. I want to live life and I want to make sure that I'm in their lives for for as long as I possibly can. And I think it just it just motivates me every day. And it's not, not so much motivation. It's just discipline. But it's like being disciplined every day, being consistent on what you want to focus on, what you want to do. And, and going out and doing it. Like I've always been that person that if I put, put my mind to something, I'm going to go do it. And it doesn't slow down. That is such an awesome story. I, I know you have a website. It, it's pretty cool. I, I've read it. I, I've read all about you. I've, you know, I was like really looking forward to talking with you. And folks, if you want to learn more, go to his website. It's Matthew Dash. Bradford, B-R-A-D-F-O-R-D.com. We'll put the link up on the Coming Home Well Facebook page on all the socials so you don't have to write it down as you're listening to the podcast in the car or something. So go check it out. There's all sorts of great things on his website, but you go out and share your message, Matthew. Who are you sharing with? What message are you sharing? Uh, I've learned that uh, it's not just military, but and my story can resonate with anybody, civilians, military, and it, overcoming adversities, resiliency, and, and unfortunately, suicides. I've gotten emails for the last few years of somebody who I did an event with, at, with Toby Keith out of Nashville. And I come up, I made a post about like just how blessed I am and, and where I started out and where I am now. And, and this lady somehow got my email and she says, she said, you don't know me and we're never going to meet, but I'm a huge fan of Toby and I saw your Instagram post. And if it wasn't for me reading your post and Googling your story, then I'd have committed suicide. 
and like never met this lady before, but you know, she reached out to me. It's like the impact that you have on other people's lives. You never know. You never know who's watching or who's, who's observing or who's reading your post. And it's just going out every day. And, 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 and it doesn't matter if you're, if I'm speaking to thousands of people, like there's always one person that could be struggling that day who could use that assistance. And then one of the, one guy heard me on the Jocko Willing podcast and overweight has cancer, very bad off. And, and they didn't give me much long to live. And he's like, you know what? I'm, I took what they gave me and I used that as motivation. I got up every morning. I'm going to go walk. And a few months later, a year later, he was cancer free and he lost over a hundred pounds. And it's just that motivation when it's like, you know, that's all it is, is just putting your head down, putting one foot in front of the next, you understanding that sometimes the, the, the hard way might be the easy way. When, and that's the one thing with life. It's like, it's not easy. There's not going to be a clear path. It's just pushing through those obstacles. Understand that there is going to be a little clear path on the other side, but there's going to be another obstacle. And it's like, you got to learn to face it head on. You know, Matthew, one of the things we always talk about is finding your tribe. Because once we're in the military, we're all working towards the same goal, even if it's in another service, or we all have like a shared understanding of what we're working towards. But when you get out, a lot of times people lose that tribe, lose that group. It sounds like you created your own. You got married. You've got wonderful children. You have a supportive family. How in the world did you meet your wife and get married? What's that story? Because it sounds like you had to get in the right headspace first, even have that opportunity show up. It's always talk about like the detour in life. And it's interesting how life works out. And when I re-enlisted in San Antonio, they gave me two choices, either stay in San Antonio or, or go to North Carolina to work at the Wounded Warrior Battalion. And I chose North Carolina because I thought the battalion gave me like a bigger and better opportunity to be around more wounded guys and girls. And thankfully I made that choice because the first weekend I got to North Carolina is when I met my wife. And and it's interesting how life works out because she was actually living in Hawaii the same time I was stationed in Hawaii. And, and then all of a sudden it took us to this point. Years later, here I am running into her in Hawaii or running into her in North Carolina. And so we met and and it was just you know, it was that friendship that turned into a relationship and the same place that we kind of really interacted for the first time. We got married two years later at Emerald Isle and our daughter was born. And with my wife, she had two kids from previous marriage. And so they were four and seven years old when I met them. And so we all come together and, and now we're a family of five. And you know, when I joined, when I left to live with my dad in Virginia, I never thought I'd move back to Kentucky. And it was my wife who, she knew my goal and my dream of always attending the University of Kentucky, graduating. I'm a lifelong fan. Never thought I would ever attend the university. But my grades weren't that good in high school. And here we are today living in Kentucky. And I graduated from the University of Kentucky in 2017. But it was my wife who, hey, this is your dream. This is your goal. And she put her life on the back burner, very selfless. So I could focus on my goals and my dreams. And I love her so much for that. I got tears in my eyes. What a wonderful story of inspiration. So you went to the University of Kentucky. I've got friends that that cheer for them, and I, I, I'll give them that. They are lifelong fans. So you, But you had the chance to go. How difficult was it? You had been, lear- you'd been reading and, and being able to see to learning while being vision impaired. It's like you mentioned earlier about having that tribe. I was very blessed that... 
the a retired lieutenant colonel that was in charge of the Veterans Resource Center. He took me in. And when I was at the community college before I transitioned over to UK, like my wife would literally drop me off into a class and walk around the football stadium with our one-year-old daughter and wait for me. And then she'd pick me up and drop me off. Like, so her life revolved around my school schedule. And, and the gentleman at UK said, look, he gave her a, a drop-off point, a pickup point. He's like, we'll have work studies, take him to class, and we'll find out what veteran, what National Guard, or if there's any students in the class that is willing to assist him if he needs anything. But once you drop him off, he's in our hands, and we'll take care of him. So that, that took away the stress for my wife. And I had those work studies wait for me when the class was done. They would take me to the next class. And, and then if I had a couple hours in between classes, they'd take me back to the Veterans Resource Center. And I'd, I'd do my homework or I'd eat lunch. And, and I had a good relationship with the professors as well. Only one professor wanted me to drop her class because I was she thought I was too too much work for her. But, but throughout my seven years of going to college, all my professors have been fantastic and they've been willing to help and assist me and, and, and make it more accessible for me. And that helped out a lot. But it, it's just school was just that next challenge, that next chapter. And I went straight in from the Marines going right into college. It was just that next battle, as I mentioned, and that next goal. Like when I put my mind to something, I'd go after it and I accomplish it. And, and, and I knew that what I needed to do to get where I need to go. And so it was, it was tough sometimes as, as any college kid would, but you just got to learn to be organized. You got to learn to have your own schedule and when it's just have a good work ethic. So Matthew, what did you study? I was listening to you. I'm like, of all the things to study, I wonder what he chose. Well, it's interesting because like I did a lot of traveling and stuff of weekends or whatever. So it's like, I love sports and I've been on the, a few radio shows and I, and I considered doing a podcast. So I got into the communications part of it and which helps out because I do a lot of public speaking and the communications went into journalism, journalism went into media arts and studies. So I ended up getting the degree in media arts and studies, but then every elective I had I always chose a history class. And by the time I got to my last year at UK, they only needed a few more credits for a history degree. So I got multiple degrees in media arts and then also history. That sounds fascinating. I love when, when these interests align with studies. It's You're not a kid. You're not coming out at just right out of high school. I did the same thing when I joined the Army. I went straight from the Army. I joined when I was 17. And all of a sudden, I'm in the Army. And I said, ah, I'm not going to college. And my very first squad leader said, hey, you need to sign up for college classes and we're going to check on it on your monthly counseling. I'm like, I joined the army to avoid going to college. And, and I look back and I'm so grateful for him because it put me on the right path and made me sort of focus. And then it's worked out really well since then. But I, I discovered a love of learning. But at the That's time, a, yeah, I wasn't there. The same thing happened to me too. Like when I was, uh, I mean, it was, yeah, 2011 and, the master sergeant who I worked under, like he was taking, I think he was going for a master's program. And I kept giving that answer because he's like, hey, hey, Bradford, you're going to go to school. You should start taking classes. And it's like, oh, I'll do it when I get out. And he's like, no, you're not. You're just telling, telling me that to shut me up. And he actually made an appointment with the disability coordinator at Coastal Carolina Community College behind my back for me to go there and start taking classes. And 
just like you, like I was not a great student in, in high school or middle school because I didn't, I didn't really want to be there. But when I started taking college classes and I started like, like I, I was all in on taking college classes and I, like learning things that I probably should have learned when I was in high school. But, you know, it got me into reading a lot more. I love to read. And of course, I'm, I love history. So it really got me into depth on like learning a lot about a lot more about history than I ever realized I would know. And, and just the most important thing with learning, it's like we don't know everything. But, you know, as long as you try to learn something new every day or if if somebody knows something that you don't know, like ask questions. And you know, I, always, I always ask those questions. And then like I, I pick up my phone and I Google like what they're doing just to learn a little bit about what they're doing. I think that's the most important part. And it's like, like I, I could talk history and sports all day long, but after a while, that's going to bore me out and it's going to bore you out. So I'd like to know what's going on in the world. That's absolutely amazing. It's so inspirational. And I love the idea of I can still do the things that I want to do, even with challenges. And that's what I find so amazing about your story. You do a lot of public speaking. You, you do a lot of things to help people overcome some of these, not even limitations, but self-imposed limitations. How do people get in touch with you if, if they say, hey, I'd like to hear Matthew come and talk with us and, and provide that motivation for whatever group that we're, we're trying to get motivated? Like you mentioned earlier, the website, www.matthew-bradford.com, email me. I'm very active on all social media accounts. Uh, so it's usually like my email for the account is Simplify at matthew-bradford.com is the best way to get a hold of me. And but it's just uh, like I mentioned earlier, it's you get out, it's a, it could be either the military, it could be a civilians, but it's like, it might not be all who, who are impacted, but there could be one or two people that walked into that room in a bad place. And not only just hearing the story, but you know what, providing resources and okay, maybe I do need to go see a counselor. Maybe I need to go see a chap or somebody when it just puts their mind in the right spot to a lot better, a lot better off when they leave than when they got there. You know, Matt, I, I was laughing when I saw that your tweet address, the your Twitter account, Bionic Matt 5. It's B-I-O-N-I-K Matt 5. I was like, Bionic Matt, okay, that that totally tracks. Is that with the, the prosthetics being bionics? Yeah, when I first got hurt and I was at the blonde school in 2008, they was like, hey, like, what do you want your email to be? And at that time, I was just put Bionic Marine. And, and at that time, like I was 21 years old, so I'm like, well, I'm going to be hip. So I'm going to change Bionic with a K. It just looks so cool, but but yeah, it's just kind of sticks now. So it totally makes sense. We've talked a lot about your entire story. It's so inspirational, but I'm sure I missed something. What should I have asked you about, but didn't? It's just, I think to see it, like I mentioned, the importance of understanding that you're going to have those bad days and that you're going to have those struggles. That's life. When it's like, just because you have those struggles, does not mean that's the end of your day, the end of your life. Like you just got to push through. And like you got to find ways to put good people in your life. So when you have those bad days, you could reach out to them. You know, they're going to be there to provide good, good words for you and good encouragements for you as well. But uh, it's just a lot of stress in this world right now. There's a lot of bad things going on, but it's just like you can focus on kind of your circle and, and making sure your circle is very strong. So if you need assistance or if anyone around you needs assistance and you could help out. You know, you bring up a very important point. It's something that we talk a lot about at Coming Home Well is there is a lot of help out there. There are so many people that just want to help, but they don't know how to find you. They don't know how to reach out to the person that needs them. So reach out, start asking questions, 
Like usually somebody knows somebody that knows somebody that has that special sauce or that skill or that that equipment or that resource or that event that's going to help you do the things that you want to do and overcome those challenges that really impact the ability to come home well and building the tribe and, and the, yeah. the resources. And I think that's a, a wonderful message because there's so many folks that don't realize there's a lot of people that would do anything to help. Yeah. And that's like, you think about counselors and therapists and a lot of people try to stay way in out with us at this point too. It's like, Oh, I'm, I'm weak or I'm a coward. If I go to them, it's like, that's what they're there for. And honestly, it's, it's you're, you're so much better off by going there and just like unloading for an hour or whatever. You feel so much better. Take advantage. Like you're not weak or you're not a coward. If you go to see a counselor or a therapist, it's better for you. You know, the, the, the military chaplains, like when I was in the hospital, or going through rehab, like they were always there or they'd always show up when I needed them. I sat there in my room by myself and all of a sudden out of the blue one would walk in. And it's just, it's, it's having those people and people talk about helping and community service. And it's like, all it takes today, you want to help out, just hold a door open or shake somebody's hand or, or just have a conversation with someone. Be friendly. Be That's that's what it's all about. The community service and helping out others. And if somebody's struggling, walk up, ask if they need help. One of my friends mentioned something about like the character he says every time he'd go to a school and if he'd see a piece of trash on the floor he'd sit there and watch see how many kids like would walk by that piece of trash before they pick it up and he's like okay now one kid would walk by pick the trash up and, and put it in a trash can it's like that, that says a lot about the kid's character because like no matter where you're at like this is your home like that's your school it's like you don't want that school to be littered by dirt or trash like you know what pick things up Put them away. Make it look nice. What's your environment that you that you're setting up for your own kids? That is a wonderful analogy. We always talk about at home with, here with my kids. Character is what you do when no one's looking. You can you can cheat. You can steal. You can do all sorts of things, but you know you did wrong. Especially if someone's watching, you're not going to do those bad things. But what do you do when no one else is watching? And I think that's a really important character element is you got to do it for you because nobody else is going to do it when nobody else is watching. Yep, and you never know when somebody's watching. Absolutely, and people are always watching, and they're watching what you say and and to make sure that it matches with what you're doing because that is the biggest disconnect. We all have seen it in leaders where they'll tell you to do this, but then they're doing it themselves, the thing that they said not to do. Everyone recognizes it. Yeah, that's one of the things. Like, So I took a... Even through like rehab, I took a lot of like the things I learned as a Marine. The lead by example mentality was something that was really big. One of my therapists, he, I, he'd stopped me one day when I was learning how to walk. And he says, Matt, you don't see this, but every day when you roll into therapy in your wheelchair, you got a smile on your face. You go to your mat, you put your prosthetics on, you stand up and walk out. And he's like, there's amputees laying on the floor doing core exercises who just recently were injured trying to figure out their own life. And, and they see you come into work every day, do what you need to do and walk out. And it's just that it motivates him to understand that if a blind guy with no legs can do this, then I could do this, but it's going to take work and it's going to take effort. And it's, and that's what it's all about. It's like just being that, that, that leader for others to be that example for others to follow. When because when you're at a time in your life that, that you need somebody 
and you look up to somebody and if they're doing it, then it's like, okay, that's my motivation. That's my drive. And he's going to be there to lend that help and hand when he, when I need him. It certainly does put things into perspective, doesn't it? It does. We've been talking with Matthew Bradford. He was a U.S. Marine. He's since retired. He was injured pretty severely. He's a double amputee and blind. But since then, he's done all sorts of amazing things. He's, he's done marathons. He's gotten married. He's had children. He's graduated from the University of Kentucky. And he really provides us a really excellent way to look at life. So go check out his website. It's matthew-bradford.com. We'll put up the links. You don't have to go searching for it. Go get in touch with him. Go read his tweets. Go interact with Matthew because he is an absolutely amazing motivation for all of us when we're having challenges coming home well. And Matthew, thank you so much for coming on Coming Home Well and sharing your story and, and this really message of motivation. Thank you again for having me and thank you for what you're doing as well and spreading the word and and getting these stories out so people can listen and, and be inspired to honestly to overcome those, those bad days and, and live life to the fullest. Thanks for joining us this week on Coming Home Well with Dr. Tyler Pieron. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. Follow us on Instagram at comminghomewell underscore BTS or on Twitter at comminghomewell. Thanks again. And until all are home and all are well, this is Coming Home Well. Coming home well.